0: I live in Chicago, and right about now, the leaves are falling and so are the temperatures. This makes me want to grab a glass of red, find a fire pit, and a cozy sweater. If you are looking for a wine recommendation, may I suggest the 2018 Hannah Cabernet from Sonoma County. If you prefer white wine, the 2021 Hannah Chardonnay is a great option. This female-led winery offers absolutely delicious options for your fall table. Great pairing with more savory dishes, or to share a bottle with friends. Hannah Winery brings the rich and unique terroir of Sonoma County right to your home in every glass. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most innovative and creative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Laura Sage. Not too many of us spend
1: time in the present moment. Mindfulness helps people get recentered on the present moment, and we're always going to get distracted. But the more that we practice focusing back on the present, the easier it is for me, at least, to be less anxious, less stressed out and really uh, appreciate the moments that I have.
0: Laura Sage is the creator and CEO of Chill, a modern meditation studio. Laura started this concept because she was driven to create Chill by her desire to establish a regular meditation practice for herself and her frustration at not being able to find a meditation studio that she found approachable, hence Chill. She founded a nonprofit as well called Chicago's In Good Taste, which harnesses the power of local restaurants to support the Lynn Sage Breast Cancer Foundation. Please enjoy my interview with Laura Sage. Laura, thank you so much for being on to dine for the podcast. It's absolutely wonderful to see you on this Monday morning and your smiling face and you are emanating goodness, which is a great way to start this Monday. Um, How are you doing? First of all, thank you.
1: It is equally wonderful to see you. It's been a long time. I'm doing okay. Considering everything we've been through since the last time we connected, happy yes. to be here with you.
0: We have, and I can't wait to go into that because there's nothing like having a meditation studio where you have to where people come to the meditation studio and then have a global pandemic. So we will we will talk about some of the challenges of your amazing business, but first Let's start this podcast the way I start all my podcasts, which is asking the guest, where is their favorite restaurant? If you could take me anywhere in the country to eat, where would you go?
1: Well, interestingly, I am going to propose a place that's not even in the country. Really? Yes, yes, yes. And I gave this a lot of hard thought. I would never name a place in Chicago, which maybe we can talk about later, because I have a lot of favorite places here. But there is a place in London although it has expanded to other places around the world, called La Petite Maison. Mm
0: -hmm. And I love it there. And why? Why do you love it?
1: You know, the service is always amazing. The menu is excellent and it's broad enough that I'm comfortable going there with anybody. Is it French? You know, interestingly, you would think that because it's called La Petite Maison that it is French. But for instance, um, they have a tuna carpaccio, which I don't normally think of as a French dish that's one of my favorite appetizers there. Or I ordered Dover Soul, which mm. could be French, but it, it could not be. So I think it's like French Mediterranean because they do also have a spot in Nice. Mm. But I was in Abu Dhabi maybe five years ago, and they have since expanded to Abu Dhabi as well. They have probably, I'm guessing a handful to two handfuls of restaurants. And the London one is in Mayfair in a, a cute little muse. And it's it's really, it's just elegant. It's Nice, but not too fancy. You
0: could go there in jeans. You could go there dressed up, and it's delicious. Well, it sounds amazing. I thought you would pick a place in Chicago since we both live in Chicago, mm-hmm. and Chicago is such an amazing culinary scene. And it, it's really hard because there's so many fabulous restaurants in Chicago. In fact, I'd put the culinary scene in Chicago up against anywhere. Certainly in this country, if not the world. And we really get spoiled here. So, and 100% agreed. Yes. And maybe at the end of this podcast, they'll push you for. For for maybe one Chicago spot you can recommend because I know that you work with Chicago restaurants and you don't want to play favorites. But there's got to be a one place you would recommend. We'll get to that in a second. But let's begin. Let's begin by you
1: can't by- see me blushing on a podcast, <laughs>
0: right? You're going to be thinking about this the whole interview. Where am I going to choose? All right, uh, let let's begin at the beginning because I am so fascinated by your business, which is chill meditation. And I know that it has been a long journey to create the concept, to build the business, to pivot, and to take it in ways you probably at first never imagined it would go. But take me back before you started, chill. Take me back to who you were and what was going on in your life that you wanted to begin this journey of meditation.
1: So my professional background is actually in finance. Mm. And also philanthropy. So the very quick answer is I needed mental well-being and was mm. introduced to mindfulness and it helped me. The longer answer is working for a hedge fund, traveling a hundred thousand miles a year. that's that's one of the reasons I knew my favorite restaurant. We spent we had an office in London. I spent a lot of time there. concurrent to that, building a nonprofit that raises money for breast cancer researchers. I had Two full time jobs for over a decade. And Mm -hmm. I was stressed out. And when I was introduced to mindfulness, it helped me. But I immediately realized that mindfulness had a bit of a marketing challenge and also a distribution channel
0: problem. But let's talk about breast tax because everyone has all these buzzwords like mindfulness, right? At the end of the day, let's kind of break those down a little bit. When you say you were stressed out, you were working beyond uh, so much. You mentioned like a hundred hours a week, right? Well, a hundred thousand miles a year. I was, I was traveling. Oh my gosh! Okay. And so, what was the first experience like? Whether it was a yoga class, whether it was learning to meditate, can you can you ex- share how you knew it was a journey you needed to get on? So I was already practicing yoga,
1: which is a moving form of meditation.
0: Yes. And
1: I was fairly physically fit. You know, I would run, I would do elliptical, you know, I was, I I liked motion, but I also really appreciated yoga. So that had been going on for decades. Frankly, what I would attribute it to mostly was I have a cousin that lives internationally. He's American, he's married, he's got a family, but he works for the government. And so he's put on four year stints approximately In very unusual places. So I'd only see him about twice every four years. He would practice meditation and he would be at a family event and he would just disappear, which was weird, (laughs) frankly. But when he'd come back, I would ask him, his name's Evan, and I would say, Evan, what were you doing? Tell me about it. And it was really Evan that made me more curious. Mm -hmm. And that curiosity made me go online and say, where could I learn more about meditation in Chicago? And mindfulness and, and these contemplative practices. So what I learned pretty quickly is there were only two places in Chicago that really were providing classes where I could pay a fee. One was, is now closed. And it turns out that it was very deeply rooted in Christian mysticism, which is perfectly fine. And something I could be curious about, but they didn't explain that up front. So mm. it was a little, I, I felt like it was a bit of a decoy. So that was what got me started. Like, must be other people like me that are interested in mental well-being classes that perhaps don't want as much spirituality and want something like the other place was a Shambhala center. And I didn't feel like as a capitalist comfortable walking into the Shambhala center. I'm not blaming it on the center, but to me, that seemed too intimidating. Where could somebody go that had a little bit more of a profile like myself to learn more?
0: Fascinating. And what year was that?
1: 2016.
0: Okay. And, and the timing of all this is just so incredible, right? Because after the pandemic and just kind of where, our, where, where we are going as a culture, I think it's really interesting. You started in 2016. So what did you notice from meditation that made your life better? It
1: gave me a moment to settle down and it gave me an opportunity to Get an attitude adjustment. Mm-hmm. And you could do it almost at any time and anywhere. And I was always fretting about the future. A lot of people fret about the past. <laughs> Not too many of us spend time in the present moment That's like true. we're doing right now.
0: Very true. So,
1: mindfulness, the exercise of doing these mental wellness exercises helps people get recentered on the present moment. And we're always going to get distracted. But the more that we practice focusing back on the present, the easier it is for me, at least, to be less anxious, less stressed out, and really uh, appreciate the moments that I have, the company that I'm in right now, for instance.
0: Not only did it put your mind in a better head space, so to speak, but you felt like you were able to live more in the moment moving forward.
1: Absolutely. And it gave me, to talk about a buzzword, but it gave me another tool in my tool chest to attend to stress and anxiety that will come into my day and everybody's day. So I, I still drink, but you know, I found myself on the road at the end of a busy day, having a scotch or two or three. Now, at the
0: end of the day, I might first sit down and do a five or 10 minute meditation. Fascinating. And do you find that meditation puts you in a place, you know, the reason why we drink is it puts us in a different mental state, right? It relaxes us. We can, it, it, we can check out. We can do all these things. But meditation in a, in a completely different way does the same thing. It puts us in a different mental state. So did you find yourself at times craving that meditation the way you might crave a drink? For sure. And there are techniques which might not be sitting in a
1: quiet room by yourself or with other people meditating that can help ground you in the present moment. You know, I'm, I'm not, we've talked about this before. I can guide a meditation, but I am not a senior guide that, that does these things for chill professionally. But I often will guide people in little exercises as simple as putting your finger and thumb together and just rubbing them together. It oftentimes will alleviate some anxiety before you're about to speak in public or if you have to have a difficult conversation. So there are a lot of very simple
0: techniques that ground you in the present moment that can help people. Great. This is awesome. So I I, I ask these questions first because someone listening needs to know not only how meditation helped you personally, but how it could help them. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. To Dine For, the podcast, is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters, it seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. I live in Chicago, and right about now, the leaves are falling, and so are the temperatures. This makes me want to grab a glass of red, find a fire pit, and a cozy sweater. If you are looking for a wine recommendation, may I suggest the 2018 Hannah Cabernet from Sonoma County. If you prefer white wine, the 2021 Hannah Chardonnay is a great option. This female-led winery offers absolutely delicious options for your fall table. Great pairing with more savory dishes, or to share a bottle with friends. Hannah Winery brings the rich and unique terroir of Sonoma County right to your home in every glass. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. So I'm wondering, as a business person, who's someone who is working for a hedge fund, who clearly has that acumen, at what point did you decide you'd like to take a fork in the road and go in a different direction and start a studio that would teach meditation to others. Yeah, that that was an interesting
1: decision. Uh, not necessarily one that I always encourage people to make, right? My <laughs> joke was that I had uh, two full-time jobs, only one which paid me, and I was stressed out. And so, of course, logically, I chose to add a third full-time job that also <laughs> didn't pay me to the mix. Um, and that did nothing for my personal stress and anxiety. <laughs> For a while, unfortunately, fortunately, I don't say this anymore, but I used to have a terrible joke of I was the most stressed out person in the mindfulness business. <laughs> um, so, you know, take all of what I'm saying with a grain of salt. I'm not actually, I, I wouldn't encourage this journey for others, but at the time I was considering doing this, being in the hedge fund business in Chicago, it's not a robust industry. It's not uh, like if you were located in New York or in London, where you meet people that do things that were somewhat similar to my role. It's not like that in Chicago. I suspected the time that I had at the current job where I had been for 11 years was coming to an end. And so I, in the back of my mind was considering what I might do next. Mm. Concurrent to that, I was introduced to mindfulness and I couldn't shake the idea, which is very unique for me because I'd like to think I'm creative, but I'm not a person that thinks like, oh, and I could do this job and I could do that job. And I couldn't get the idea out of my head of creating a space that was approachable for people more like myself. I really wanted to stay away from sage green and bamboo and Buddhas and sort of the traditional vision that I had in my head when I thought of meditation and mindfulness studios. And I I just couldn't shake the concept. And for a while, I thought it was very fortuitous. A friend of mine is a beautiful mindfulness guide and yoga teacher. She wanted to be involved. We found a beautiful piece of real estate. There were people that wanted to contribute. Like there were a lot of things that happened that I thought were very, I'd say, affirming.
0: Yes, fortuitous, as you said. Yes. And, and you do have, you have a beautiful space in River North. That was your first studio, correct? Yeah, that was our only
1: studio. And that studio... The first floor space, we don't have anymore. So we still have space on the second floor, which right now we use to film content. And as office space, we are in the process of rehabbing it. So we will again have a, a small studio for which we can host guests, but it will not be the same hours that we had for our first floor studio. The original concept was seven days a week. Like you'd go to a fitness studio, like a core power yoga or a soul cycle to exercise your body, you would come to chill to exercise your brain. And was it a half an hour meditation class or an hour? It was 30 minutes or an hour. It depended if, well, and sometimes even longer if we were hosting workshops, but we tried to keep the pure mindfulness meditation classes to 30 minutes. We also would do a class that was very popular, which was yoga and meditation because A lot of people are familiar with practicing yoga and that sense of movement and even just stretching out makes it easier to sit for another 20 minutes or so before a nice long shavasana.
0: So when you, your original concept is to take a meditation class, 30 minutes where you could be in a guided meditation, either sit quietly for 30 minutes or involve yoga. And really, as you say, like the name suggests, chill, right? To really relax. And how did that business do financially?
1: Not, not great, frankly. <laughs> what I learned is that when you have a big overhead and to have a studio like that, the, ex- the rent is expensive and it requires a lot of humans, yes. it's hard to monetize the business. Now, revenue continued to increase and we got a lot of
0: positive accolades and that led to the business where it is right now. Okay, so this is fantastic. So this is the founder journey, right? It's it's about trial and error. It's about iteration. It's about seeing what sticks and then modifying accordingly. So you 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 launch into these meditation classes, and they are, I'm sure, in a lot of ways, personally fulfilling to see all these people walk out of a, a studio and see them in a different headspace and be like, "Wow, we're doing this. This is amazing." So that you have that personal affirmation but it's not quite a business if it's not making money. So what do you do at that point to say, wait a minute, we're onto something, but how could this be something more? It's a really, it's a good question because not only did we see people leaving our studio
1: feeling better, people would tell us and write to us that we saved their life. We got them through a difficult time, like every single day. So it was, you're right, it was very gratifying from that perspective. But as we'd noted before, I was already running a nonprofit organization. So the intention with Chill wasn't to run a second nonprofit organization. But we we had intentionally chosen a location close to the business community. And that was done very strategically. Initially, we were looking at less expensive locations in neighborhoods. And a, a businessman friend of mine said, if you choose a neighborhood location and it's not successful you're not gonna know if it was not successful because of the location or because of the concept. Mm -hmm. Because remember, we were really doing a new concept. He said, if you choose a location that's centrally located, if it's not successful, you'll know it's the concept. Mm -hmm. So so we went with a a higher rent area. Uh, We had a friendly landlord who helped us with the build out and we were busy. What we also did is we attracted the business community. And so even pre-pandemic, I had decided we need to do more to accommodate the business community. They, they have a budget. Even pre-pandemic, I recognized that there was a need for that and companies were we didn't have an advertising budget. we didn't have a salesperson, but we were getting a lot of inbound inquiries from companies ranging from law firms to advertising agencies who we were working with a, like a, a chemical company. I mean, some industries in a million years, you would never think that they would be open to the concept of mindfulness exercises. So we had already started to develop that side of the business and actually to create an app mm. that was designed specifically for the business community. And so we were already practicing that and we had a beta tested it with corporate clients when the pandemic hit.
0: And is that um would that be virtual meditation classes for a big business or would you go in person with your teachers to teach at their location? Well, initially this was now, we're talking 2019, 2018,
1: 2019. We would bring a guide to the corporation. Mm. Sometimes the business wanted to come to our studio because it was a very beautiful space. So that's that's how we were doing it in 2018, 2019. Come the pandemic, we then started to do it virtually. So we were using, whether it be Microsoft Office or Zoom or now our
0: own app. And how did that go? And, and did you see an uptick and a trajectory with that business?
1: Yes, we did. And fortunately, we had that business and it was fairly robust when the pandemic hit because we didn't have studio space, right? And nobody else was going into their office. We already had experience teaching corporate sessions. And the way we would teach a corporate session was quite different than the way we would teach a class in our studio because in the studio, we had membership and it was more about 30 minutes to be guided in an exercise. When we were going to corporations, oftentimes it was the first time the audience had ever heard of mindfulness or meditation, or if they'd heard of it, it was a very esoteric concept. So we would take a lot of time to explain what mindfulness was, why meditation was being introduced to them. Uh, Maybe we weren't even using that language. For some people, it's better to just use the term mental well-being and mental well-being exercises. And then we would go through some very gentle exercises, have a lot of time for Q&A. So it was a very different structure and and still to this day is a different structure. But now we have a huge menu of different types of
0: curriculum that we teach. So how did you survive the pandemic? Everyone, you know, they couldn't go into your studios, but yet... You have people more stressed out than they've ever been in their lives in different ways. So you, in a way, you had a captive audience to teach meditation. What did you do that helped you stay afloat? We did a a lot of different things.
1: Uh, You know, everything from asking our investors if they'd contribute more to the business, to getting a PPP funding, to doing more corporate work. But um, as you noted, we did a lot of experimenting and when the pandemic first started, we were doing a lot of complimentary work. We just wanted to help people with their mental well-being. Once we got a little bit more established, uh, we were
0: trying to cultivate more business that would actually generate revenue. Do you still think of yourself as one of the most stressed out people in the, in the mindfulness space?
1: (laughs) No, I, I would say a couple things happened. One I've learned to be in the role of an entrepreneur more than I probably was at the beginning, right? I've been doing this now for over five years. And two, I've learned that a lot of people in my space in the mindfulness business are also quite stressed out. (laughs) We partner with a, a PhD at Northwestern University. His name is Dr. David Victorson, and he helps us with some research projects. We're particularly interested in helping caregivers. And there's an opportunity to get government grants through a project called the Small Business Innovation Research Grants. So we have a PhD partner, Dr. Victorson, and he's explained to me that it's actually quite common for people in the mindfulness business to be stressed out. So I don't want to um, usurp that title from from somebody else, but I've also just personally become a little bit more accustomed to the the variety of my day, and and I also really do practice what I preach. So.
0: That's also
1: really helped me learn to, let's just say, ride the waves.
0: Well, a real passion comes from, a, from someone who cares deeply, right? And if you care deeply about the difference between fretting and anxiety and being in the moment, it had to have come from a pain point. So, you know, it, it, in a way, it's almost like any anxiety that you have had your whole life is a gift because it's brought you to this place to be so passionate about this subject.
1: Yeah, thank you for saying that. I, I hope so. I agree. I think that anxiety and stress can be harnessed for for good and yes. for very constructive things. But to live with a lot of anxiety and stress is is terrible for our physical body. And there's such a connection between mental well being and physical well being. There's a, a a balance to everything.
0: You have a an immense passion for the breast cancer research. Please tell us why and the work that you've done over many decades with that.
1: Oh, thank you, Kate. I appreciate that. So the nonprofit that I had alluded to earlier is called the Lynn Sage Breast Cancer Foundation. And it's named after my mom who passed away from breast cancer when she was 39. So she was really young. She'd been diagnosed at 34. I was 13, almost 14 when she passed away. But Mm. I inherited this legacy and this interest in, helping eradicate breast cancer. And a bunch of my my family and my mom's friends also have cared about this cause. So we dedicate a a lot of time and effort to raising money to fund breast cancer researchers and their education in Chicagoland. And today we fund doctors, researchers, specifically at Northwestern University, at University of Chicago, and at Rush Medical. So that's something I care about a lot.
0: Well, I know that you have raised millions of dollars for breast cancer research, and I, I know also that Chill has done a program specifically with Chicago restaurants to give money to the Lynn Sage Breast Cancer Foundation. Can you talk about that project?
1: So October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and I would say, gosh, now it's been probably 15 years ago, but we started a fundraising initiative, which we call Chicago is in Good Taste. I love that. Yep. And it engages the restaurant community predominantly in Chicago. And, you know, considering everything that restaurateurs have been through the last several years, it would be almost criminal, right, to ask them to help raise money. But 15 years ago, it wasn't. And in Chicago, it is such a generous and engaging community. I really, I can't say enough how how creative and open-minded and willing to help our cause this community has been for the last 15 years And so what the restaurants do is they let their patrons know that they're raising money for breast cancer research and education during the month of October. They can do it in a myriad of different ways. Perhaps a server is wearing a pink lapel pin and engages their patrons. Perhaps they have a a couple of items on their menu, which identifies that the proceeds are going to go towards our cause. We let the restaurants engage however they feel most comfortable and they help us raise money. And. Even last year, where all we had the heart to do was say, you know, we're still doing the campaign. If you'd like to participate, please let us know.
0: We raised almost $100,000. Wow. Amazing. That's really amazing. Well, congratulations to you. Yeah. I'm just wondering, you know, since you started Chill and since you began this journey, in many ways, I'm sure it made you more stressed. But how have you changed as a person when you think back to first having the idea for meditation classes in a beautiful setting, to morphing into virtual classes and more corporate settings, everything that you've done up to this moment. In your personal journey, how are you different?
1: I have learned so much from my team and lessons that, that I've learned that I still need to practice every day, but are listening techniques, being more emotionally intelligent, being more open to ideas and diverse ideas. So we want a diverse community, but sometimes everybody can have the same thought. So I think I'm a lot more open to opinions that aren't necessarily my initial opinion. And then there's this concept in mindfulness, which is my favorite and will be something I practice forever, but the concept of equanimity. So not necessarily having quite as high highs, but also acknowledging that those low lows are, are are temporary. And when you can put into perspective that everything we're experiencing today, it will certainly be different tomorrow. It's an easier way for me to go through life.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So really, uh, we talk about balance and it's, we talk about it so much, it's become a buzzword and, and kind of cliche. But when you say equanimity, you're really talking about not necessarily balanced, but more that you can be, it's okay to not be great one day and to realize that tomorrow could be better. Yeah. And and maybe not even tomorrow, an hour could be better.
1: An hour is even more hopeful. Yeah. Yeah, That's why you time yourself out, give yourself
0: a little meditation. and, And sometimes your perspective changes quickly. Mm. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Okay. I'm not going to, please don't overthink this, but can you give me your favorite, either a dessert spot in Chicago? This is not going to offend anyone else. Your favorite dessert place in Chicago or your favorite pizza place? So
1: I'm going to do dessert because this is not going to offend anybody and it's, it's sincere. <laughs> okay. My favorite dessert is chocolate chip ice cream from Baskin Robbins.
0: Ooh. <laughs> That's not even a restaurant. You can go that. You can
1: get that at at the grocery store. (laughs) That's right. But I like the the little shaved chocolate chips. That's more like a stracciatella than the big chocolate chips. So that is wholeheartedly my favorite dessert.
0: I love that. And, you know, we had Jenny on from Jenny's Ice Cream, Um, and she talked about ice cream actually as a form of meditation. She prefers to get it in a cone because you have to you really have to be intentional about eating a cone. You cannot put it down or do other things. But she said that to really enjoy the pleasure of the flavor and the sensation of the coldness and the the whole experience is something that you really have to be in the moment to enjoy. And she looks at it as a form of self-care. No, I, I love that. We host meditation sessions, mindfulness sessions, whether
1: it be around a raisin, it's a traditional exercise, or a piece of chocolate is more delicious, Mm. or a glass of cocktail. Yes. And the idea of engaging your senses is often a really approachable way for people to learn about
0: mindfulness and meditation. What would you say to someone who feels like they are so stressed, they can't even they don't even have time to look up meditation? What would you say to them? And what is the first step towards uh, living a more mindful life? It's a practice.
1: Anybody can do it. You cannot do it wrong. And I genuinely believe one minute, two minutes is a great way to start. Really? Just one or two minutes? Absolutely. I think one or two minutes. I challenge people. It's more about frequency. Like we tell people to not binge meditate. Don't meditate for two hours once a week and say, okay, I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. You know, we use the analogy of brushing your teeth. Right? You brush your teeth great. for good dental hygiene. People should practice mindfulness for good mental hygiene. And just two minutes a day, do it for five days in a row. And I, I will tell you,
0: everybody will notice a difference. Oh, wow. That is good. Something consistency, small steps in the right direction can really make a difference.
1: Yep. And be guided. You know, that's why our app, we offer two weeks for, for free to anybody who wants it. It's chillanywhere.com. But be guided. Because then you'll hear somebody, you'll see somebody on our app, and they'll tell you what to do. Just follow the instructions.
0: Well, I have enjoyed watching your journey from when you started, Chill, and I can't wait to see what's ahead. So thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks for joining me and sharing it. Thank you, Kate. Such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at To 4 TV and Facebook at To 4 For with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For the podcast, American National, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon.